0: The gospel of Jesus Christ is under attack, and it is under attack from within the church. Isn't it true that today many congregations, many denominations seem to be moving away from uh, the gospel of Christ Jesus? Isn't that the case? Um, Even in the, in recent days we've seen that within the church of Scotland. what was for many years, many decades, a sort of bastion of bibri- biblical truth and biblical proclamation Now has ministers who can quite openly almost deny the divinity of Jesus and can deny his atoning work and We see that a little bit closer to home, don't we? We see that even in London Big congregations that maybe even 10 years ago in this city would quite happily stand with us on this, our central tenets of the gospel. Now look at some of them. You know, they're embracing what is a sort of health and wealth or a prosperity message now what is noticeable about some of these churches is that though they are moving away from biblical truth do you know what they do they actually maintain some uh, biblical terminology don't they do that like even if what they understand by it is absolute nonsense isn't it true that some liberal churches will still use words like salvation isn't that right Or, you know, a health and wealth church will still preach a prosperity gospel. Friends, in the face of that, do you see what we must do? Do you see what is absolutely imperative for the people of God? You and I must be absolutely clear on what does make up the biblical gospel. We must, you and I, must be absolutely firm. We must be absolutely sure about what God is doing, about what his purposes are. Well, tonight, with that in mind, we turn to Zechariah chapter 10. And as we do so, what we have here in front of you, what you have in front of you today, is God's salvation. It's set out for you in terms of a second exodus. wonder, do you see what I mean by that? A second exodus. Here, in these verses, God is promising to call his people. He's promising to lead his people, to lead them out of the nations. And he promises in these verses to, to lead them into his glorious and eternal kingdom. So the plan tonight is very simple. We're going to look at this, we're going to look at a number of elements about this exodus salvation, and we're going to do so in terms of questions. So what we'll do tonight is we'll ask and we'll answer some questions about God's plan, about the gospel, about this great exodus that we read of here. So that's the plan. Let's turn to this. If you've got your Bibles there, please uh, open them. If you would, please turn to Zechariah chapter 10. We're going to look at the verses and pick out verses, perhaps even more so than normal. So we'll have them there. And let's ask this first question. So this is an exodus. This is a movement of people. Here's the first question. From where are God's people brought in salvation? From where are God's people brought in salvation? That's our first question. Okay. Okay. I guess the first thing that we have to establish is who is it that achieves this exodus, this work of salvation? See this, this, this great gospel plan that we're talking about here? Whose work is that? Well, um, I, I don't know if you, if you noticed it when Paul was reading out the text tonight, but there's repetition all the way through this section. I mean, just look at the first two words here. So, time and again, from verse 6 to verse 12, God says, announces two words. Look at the first two words. God says time and again, I will. I will. Now, do you see the point? Do you see what's going on here? What we're seeing is that this great exodus that we're talking about, this great plan... It isn't actually our work Okay, it's not a work of man Do you know what? It's not even as much as we would like it to be And think about it like this It is not even a combined effort No, this work This exodus Is entirely and comprehensively A work of God alone He declares here This plan, this prophecy I'm going to do this I will But actually It's one particular I will that I want you to look at. So, look at verse 10 with me, if you would. (coughs) God says these words, I will bring them back from Egypt. Egypt. Now, um, as we've studied Scripture, you and I, over these uh, last three years or so, what we've seen very often... Is that in the language, the imagery of the Old Testament, Egypt frequently represents what? If you hear Egypt, what does it often represent? It represents sinfulness. Often that's the case in the Old Testament. Like if you think about Abraham going down to Egypt, sinning wick- wickedly. You hear Isaac. Guess what? It does the same thing. And you hear Moses. What does he do? He delivers his people. But where does he deliver his people from? He delivers them from Egypt. Now, here's the deal. So you've got Egypt representing sin. Now, that is what we are dealing with here in Zechariah chapter 10. What God is saying here is that this exodus movement, this salvation here, this is a deliverance from What? it's a deliverance from iniquity it's a deliverance from wickedness it's a deliverance from sin God in his salvation is bringing us up out of Egypt bringing us up out of our own iniquity and just see in verse 8 how he does it oh he says this he promises this God says I will redeem them I will redeem them now do you see what that is? God is saying that in this plan of salvation, what he's going to do is he's going to set people free from their sin. Do you see it? This, this gospel plan is about liberation, that actually what God is promising to do here is pay a price to ransom his people from their sin, from their sin. Now, this past week, around at the manse, I was chatting to one of the girls in the congregation and it was a girl who has had in the last few years quite a lot of exposure to liberal churches in and around London and uh, we were chatting about these sorts of things and as we discussed, discussed this um, she made a perceptive comment And it's a comment I'm sure that you've all heard at various times before. She said that, and hear me on this, she said that in her considerable considerable experience that when a church begins to move away from the gospel, what's the first thing that happens? That there ceases to be an emphasis on sin in the preaching of that church. Isn't that the case? Don't we know that from our own personal experience, I'm sure? Sure. Isn't it? That when a church seeks to be more sort of, you know, comfortable, when a church seems to make its message a little bit more palatable, there ceases to be an emphasis on the plight and the predicament of humanity before a holy God. Do you see it? Ceases to be this message in sin. My friends, I'm standing here before you tonight And I am desperate that that does not happen to us in our proclamation and understanding of the gospel. I need you to see that unless we are telling people they are sinners, we are not telling those people the gospel. That is as simple as it is. Come on, truly one of the the glories of the gospel is the fact that it does deal with the fact that we are sinners. That it does show us what has been done for us. And so I ask you, as so the people of God tonight, do you see from Zechariah chapter 10? Do you see what, <coughs> what it is that has been done for you? Do you see it? God here, Zechariah chapter 10, what is this? What genre is this? Prophecy. Prophecy of a redemption. And I ask you, has this been fulfilled? Has it? Do you not see what's happened to you? You have been redeemed. As a child of God, you have been ransomed. And how has it happened? How is, what's the price? You have been ransomed by the very blood of Jesus, the blood of, like, what does Peter say about this? He says it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed, or perishable things, but with the very precious blood Of Jesus. That was the price that had to be paid for you. What's the words of that hymn? He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And I'm saying to you tonight, let us not ever lose sight of that essential element of the gospel. You were rooted in sin. You were established in sin and God has redeemed you. Do you see what he's done in Christ? By the blood of your Savior, he has brought you out of Egypt. So from where are we brought in this exodus? We are brought from our sin. We are brought from Egypt. Second question, and I want us to try and answer just now, to where? are God's people brought. So we understand that there's an exodus. We understand that there's a movement going on here. We understand we're brought out of Egypt to where are God's people brought. Well, um, a moment ago, I had you look at verse 10. Could you, I'll just ask you to continue to do that. If you look at the second half of verse 10, you're going to see an odd answer to the question, aren't you? So the question is, where are we being brought (laughs) look <laughs> at the answer we're brought out of Egypt and we are brought to the land of Gilead and Lebanon and if, uh, if you're anything like me in first reading that seems a bit random doesn't it? Lebanon and Gilead why does God cite those as being our destination in South Gilead and Lebanon if, if we're going to understand that what we have to realize is that Gilead and Lebanon were places that were always kind of near but always outside the historic bounds of the promised land so Israel and the people that they would expand and they would grow and they would detract and they would grow throughout biblical history but they never ever got into Gilead and Lebanon so do you see what the focus is here The focus here is on the sheer vastness of this Exodus crowd. Do you see it? Like the focus here is on the sheer number of people that God is going to be moving, that God is going to be saving. God is saying, I'm saving so many people that they will eventually spill out over into Gilead that there will be so many saved in this plan of redemption that they are going to pour out into Lebanon. Do you believe me? Look how the verse ends. So many people will I see that, metaphorically speaking, he says, there's not even going to be enough room for these people. Friends, I'm not even particularly wanting to focus on this just now. But I do think that that there should color how you understand the gospel. See, is is this not the case? Is it not the case that um, the church in the United Kingdom, that Christians can be thoroughly pessimistic people? Do you not think that is the case for us just now? You certainly go to church meetings, okay, up and down the land, and uh, they can be pretty somber affairs. You know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, well, God's not doing all that much, and our churches are dying. And there's not that many be- people being saved. There's not a great work of the Holy Spirit going on. And I see to you, if you're thinking like that, look at this. Look at this prophecy. Look what God is doing. He says here he is going to be saving millions and millions and millions of People, the the Exodus army here is too numerous to to count. Do you not see it? This should this should fill us with hope. As the people of God. But if anything, I think we've got a greater image of our destination in salvation here. So we're we're told that we're Gilead and Lebanon, okay? Somewhere somewhere else too. Um I'm sure if you've been following the news in recent times, then you can't fail to have seen the pictures of the migrants and the refugees that are I think, pouring into to Europe. I don't think I've ever seen any scenes like that. And in some senses, when you look at these people, for many of them, I think it's probably fair to say that they... they have been freed in some senses or they are free from chains. Isn't that r- right? Like many of these people have escaped genuine danger and genuine sort of almost captivity in places like Syria and places like Afghanistan. But is it not also true that, see these, these, these migrants, refugees, many of them, they're still homeless. Like they, they have got some sense of freedom. They don't have, many of them don't have somewhere to, to lay their heads. And what I need you to see, see this Exodus picture? I want you to understand that for you, God has done so much more than just free you. Do you see that? God has done much, much more than liberate you from your sin. It's better than that. It's bigger than that. Look at verse 6. Look at the first verse that we looked at. Look at God's promise here. He says, in this Exodus I am going now, the the NIV there, what does it got in in verse 6? It says, I will restore them. Better language is probably the ESV. The ESV says this, I will bring them back. I'm going to bring them back. And we're sort of scratching our heads and we're saying, Lord, where are you going to bring us back to? Do you see the answer? In your exodus and the salvation, God is bringing you back to him. Look at verse 8. He says, I, in this salvation, I'm going to gather my people in. Isn't that the most beautiful image? I will gather my people in. Friends, the ultimate destination in our salvation, it is God himself. Like What he is doing, in some senses, is, is bringing us back to a sort of original state of righteousness. That's what he's doing. You could see what God's doing in salvation. It's kind of bringing us back, in some senses, to Eden. Isn't he? To this sort of fellowship. To this intimacy with him. And just look at the extent of that closeness. Verse 6 goes on. I will bring them back. And it will be as though I had not ever rejected them. I wonder if you see that promise. Do you see what it means? Such is the work of Jesus Christ. Such is our intimacy with God now that it is as though we were never under any condemnation. It is as though we had never sinned. So fully did Christ bear our sins on the cross. Do you see this? God will remember our sin no more. And I say to you the same as I said in the first question. We can't let this slip out of our gospel understanding. We can't go out into the world and just preach a message of redemption. Because salvation is bigger than that, is better than that. It is also a message of reconciliation as well. Do you see that? God has done more than take you up out of Egypt. God has done more than... Break the chains of your sin. What else has he done? God has taken you from that freedom and taken you to himself. He has grabbed you. He has accepted you. He has embraced you. Is that not a message that is worth proclaiming to people? God is taking us, millions of us, to Gilead and Lebanon, but in Christ Jesus... What he has done for you, if you're a Christian, he has already taken you to himself. So from where do we go to where do we go? Third question. What will be the fruit of this redemption, this plan of salvation, the fruit? Like if you were to sit down um, at home at a desk, And if you were to take this section of Scripture and really examine it and read it and read it, one of the first things that you would notice about what we read was the fact that there is an inclusio here. I wonder if you picked up on it. Look at the beginning. Look at verse 6. What are the first words of verse 6? I will. I will strengthen. Then, that's how it begins. Then look how it ends. In verse 12, same thing. I will strengthen. You see the message? God here is promising to fortify his people in this Exodus journey. And so I can say with confidence tonight that what God is saying to you as the people of God is that he will By His Holy Spirit, He will give you all the strength that you need for the Christian life and for the Christian walk. He says, here I will strengthen. But there is a, there's a second fruit. (laughs) And it is the joy of salvation. Feel my pain with us. Honestly, it's the joy of salvation. I stand up before and I, when going through scripture, What I'm noticing is that frequently in Scripture, God speaks about joy of salvation. And I I find that really difficult to stand up in front of you and to talk about joy. Not because I'm not a joyous guy. It's not that. I just feel entirely hypocritical. Who am I? I am a Scottish Presbyterian minister. You know, I am to the world outside. I am the personification of the antithesis of joy. You know, the world outside expects me to be wearing a black suit and a black tie and a frown. But don't you see? Zechariah chapter 10, it isn't despair and it isn't misery and it isn't depression, but it is joy that is the prevailing atmosphere of salvation. Look at what God says in verse 7. He says, of his people, the Ephraimites, he says, their hearts are glad. They will be glad as with wine that such is the wonder of this Exodus that, that you and I, we get to rejoice, delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at how that goes on. Look at the dead joy. Verse seven, he says, yeah, their children will see it. And be joyful. He says, such is the joy that even their children's hearts will rejoice in this. Do you see the message here? This gospel satisfaction that we are granted by God's grace, it ain't something that it ain't something that's passing, it isn't something temporary. Do you see that it's something here that lasts, lasts into the generations, God says? But I do sincerely want to ask you this. I'm talking about the joy of the gospel. Do you think that we've lost that emphasis? Do you think so? In in the way that we live and the way that maybe we talk about Jesus to people. Maybe the preaching in the church or the way that we witness. Do you think that's true? Do you think we've lost the, the emphasis that there is joy to be found in Christ Jesus? that there is delighting, rejoicing to be found in him. I think maybe we have. We've lost this emphasis. And then let me ask you, what do the people in your life need? Isn't it the case that all the people you work with, live with, and are friends with, aren't they kind of crying out for some sort of contentment? Isn't that what's going on out there? People are desperate for some sort of happiness, some sort of fulfillment. And look at you and I. We are in here with a message of true joy. A message that says that joy is what? True joy is what? It is a f- fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? That, that in Christ is not just found a a, a, a lasting joy, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. This is a joy that wells up, matures, grows, flows over into eternity. Don't your people need to hear that? Don't they need to hear that in Christ Jesus is lasting and deep and eternal joy don 't they need to hear that that Christ has done absolutely everything that he has redeemed his people he has reconciled his people don 't they need to hear that, that we can rejoice in him? We read first Peter earlier on, listen to first Peter again isn 't this true for the people of God tonight, even though you do not see Jesus now you Believe in him and what is the result you are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy isn't that the case friends let us genuinely recover an emphasis on the joy the gospel brings and then our last question our fourth and last question See if I can remember the question. From where are we brought in this Exodus? To where are we brought in this Exodus? To God. What are the fruits of this Exodus? Our strength and our joy. Here's the last question. Through whom is this salvation? accomplished through whom i'm going to do something slightly unusual and slightly strange here i'm going to ask you just to pay attention to one word so it is odd but bear with me okay just look we're closing with this so just look at the first word of verse 11 just one word so it really kind of depends what version of the bible you're using here as always, in the church Bible, what is the first word of verse 11? The NIV has they. They will pass, what does it say? They will pass through the sea of trouble. And then the imagery, it kind of goes on to talk about a sort of dry river, a dry river sort of reminiscent of that dry riverbed that people passed through in the Exodus, in the first Exodus. Okay, you got that in your mind? They will pass through the sea of trouble. Here's here's the problem. as not what the Hebrew has. That is not what the original has. And the original was controversial, and it seems that the NIV translators, they didn't know what to do with it. I'll tell you what it says. What's the first word? Verse 11. He He will pass through the sea of trouble. He and not they. Do you see what's being said? This great deliverance that we have before us, this great exodus can only be experienced if you are united to and led by one man, He. One who was greater than a Moses of the first exodus you can only experience the salvation this exodus if you are saved by the lord jesus christ and wait a minute when you see that in terms of the exodus and exodus language doesn't it make sense think about the exodus what we are seeing here is that jesus fulfilled think about it the passover lamb that the people ate prior to going into Exodus, didn't he? Are you with me? What else happened? Jesus fulfilled the manna that they eat in the Exodus. What did he say? I am the bread of life. He fulfilled the water that burst forth from the rock in the Exodus, didn't he? I am the water of life. He fulfilled the the fire and the cloud that led them in the exodus. What did he say? I am the light of the world. And what are we seeing here in Zechariah chapter 10? We see that Christ is the fulfillment of this one who led them through the the Jordan, the the dry Jordan. That Christ, through his own sea of troubles, he will lead his people To that eternal and lasting and glorious promised land of God. Isn't that what we've got here? Friends, I want to encourage you this evening to make him everything in your life and your witness and your proclamation. That everything about you must be about Christ. Why? Well, isn't that the problem with liberal churches? isn't it? They don't recognize Jesus. They don't speak about Jesus. They don't see him as the great Redeemer. So what must we do? We must live Christ, love Christ, preach Christ for he is everything. And so I'll end with this. I will end with the very same question I asked you this morning. I asked of that heavenly banquet, will you be there I ask you of this Exodus picture, will you be there? I know what you say to me, some of you say, well in a group like this on a Sunday night, most of us are professing Christians, but are we? Do you know Christ as Lord? Are you born again? Will you be in that number in the Exodus as these saints go marching in. Will you be there? Friends, beloved people of God, let's never let any of these elements of the gospel fall from our understanding. They're so, so, so much too precious for that. Christ has done everything for us. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. And what have we seen tonight? we are seeing that you and I, in the land of Gilead and in the land of Lebanon, what will happen? You and I will rejoice. We will rejoice forevermore. Let's pray.